When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Welcome in, everybody, episode 6. The Air Tour Sports Podcast presented by Bedford Sportsbook. It is Thursday, March 23rd, 2023. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. And I hope everybody is ready for what should be a jam-packed, loaded, fun Thursday episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. Here's what you need to know about today's show. But I'm guessing you can already guess. We are going to talk mostly Sweet 16. Obviously, the games tip off tonight with the East and the West Regionals. I will preview those two regions, give you picks for all four games tonight. We'll take a quick break, come back, and preview the Friday night games in the Midwest region, Kansas City, the South region in Louisville. Then we'll take another quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk maybe some coaching news and notes. And oh, by the way, that transfer portal is on fire and we will do a big portal segment who's in who's committed who's not in all of that good stuff before we get started a couple quick announcements first of all thank you to our presenting sponsor betfred sportsbook and the betfred sportsbook app i'm going to tell you more about what you can do this march with the betfred sportsbook but just know we appreciate them and they have some incredible offers for march also thank you to bracket fanatics they are the sponsor of the aaron torres pod bracket challenge we have been working with Bracket Fanatics for three years on the Aaron Torres Pod Bracket Challenge. Also done the Aaron Torres Pick'em, NFL Pick'em this past fall. It was a ton of fun, but I appreciate Bracket Fanatics, everything they've done for the show. And why I want to shout them out, just because the bracket is filled out, it doesn't mean you can't keep using Bracket Fanatics. Remember, any sport that has a bracket that you care about and you love, Bracket Fanatics has brackets for it. Soccer, tennis, cricket, college basketball, you name it, Bracket Fanatics has you covered. You can do free pools. You can do pay pools. And the cool part is you can take all the, like, like basically everybody can submit their money on BracketFanatics.com. That's one of my favorite features about them. If you have a pay pool, there's no collecting money, no chasing people down, nothing like that. All you got to do, go to BracketFanatics.com, start your pool. Everybody pays their money is distributed on the website. You don't have to touch anything. Thank you again to BracketFanatics.com. Oh, by the way, a couple quick announcements before we get started. One, this is the last this this is the last episode of the week. As many of you know, as I've said many times, shout out my guy Ed getting married this weekend. He is a listener of the Aaron Torres pod. Uh, so I will be out of commission on Thursday and Friday night, which means that, no, I will not be going to the Arkansas-UConn game. But also, uh, I will be out of commission, and so we will not do a new show until Sunday night, where we will obviously look at what is then the four teams that have advanced to the Final Four. So make sure to check it out. Make sure you're subscribed so you get the newest show when it comes out. Also, we will have coverage from three of the four sites at AaronTorresOnline.com. I was supposed to be the guy in Vegas, but couldn't make it. Uh, Zach Kroll is in New York, and we also have people in the Midwest Regional in Kansas City and the South Regional in Louisville. Fun weekend ahead. And so with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, let's just get into it. You don't need me to tell you. We got ourselves some Sweet 16 games, and we got Sweet 16 games tonight. That is right, four games in two regions. The East, where Michigan State plays Kansas State, and then Tennessee plays Florida Atlantic. And then the West, Arkansas, UConn, UCLA, Gonzaga. Let's jump right into it. Let's not waste any more time. Let's start with the first game on the slate. It is in the East region at Madison Square Garden, Michigan State, the seven seed 
in the East region against Kansas State, the three seed in the East region, 6.30 Eastern time tip-off TBS, I believe, if I remember correctly, is who is broadcasting this game. And oh, by the way, even though Michigan is the higher seed, believe it or not, Michigan is actually the one and a half point favorite in the Betfred Sportsbook. And so let's get into this game. Let's talk about this game. And first of all, let's give a ton of credit to Michigan State, right? Listen, I, I, I've been critical of the Big Ten. I've said what I have to say about Purdue and some of these other programs that I deem to be a little bit overrated. But at the end of the day, you can't argue with what Michigan State just did. They went to that East Regional. They took care of business against a good USC team. And then they beat Marquette. And what stands out to me about this Michigan State team, I think we think of Michigan State big, rugged, tough, mean. No, 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 no. They just beat two really good teams that are led by their guards. USC with Boogie Ellis and Drew Peterson. And oh, by the way, we know Marquette with Cam Jones, Tyler Kolick, the Big East player of the year. So don't think of this Michigan State team as a big bully. They're going to get run off the court by the, the, by the quick athletic Kansas State team. No, Michigan State is quick and athletic in their own right. Tyson Walker has been their best player, 23 points in the win over Marquette. And the guard play is really what has carried Michigan, A.J. Hogard, a few other guys. I remember seeing Michigan State on the aircraft carrier back in November. They were led by their guards then. They're led by their guards now. Kansas State, I think we all know what they're led by. That is the little man, uh, as John Calipari likes to call him, but the guy that was a dynamic superstar on Sunday afternoon, Marquise Noel. Goes without saying, 27 points, 9 assists, 3 steals. I believe I saw somewhere that that stat, was, it was the first time that any guard had that stat line in the NCAA tournament since Jason Kidd. Are you kidding me? No pun intended. Bad pun maybe intended. I don't know. That is unbelievable. The one thing I will say about Kansas State, though, listen, listen, this is, you know, this isn't me trying to like pick apart or tear down Kansas State. I do think some of the narratives that have come out of the last weekend, though, do feel a little bit overblown to me, right? Marquise Noel was unbelievable on Sunday. But I thought some of the stuff that came out after the game, Jerome Tang, who to be clear, I have a ton of respect for saying we had the dudes, we had more dudes. I didn't really see that at all from Kentucky, from Kansas State, Kentucky. I saw that Kansas State had the dude. Marcus Noel was the best player on the floor. Marquise Noel, excuse me, was the best player on the floor. But you go back and look, Kentucky was up 60 to 59 with under four minutes to go. And if it wasn't for that nonsense, Marquise Noel, he was clearly passing, but it's called a shooting foul call. Um, you know, they might not win that game. And so it's not to discredit Mar uh, 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 Kansas State. It's not to say that they didn't deserve to win. They deserve to win. But I think there's this like narrative now because it's Kentucky, because everybody loves piling on that. Oh, Calipari choked again. Calipari's terrible. No, Kansas State's a really good team. And Kentucky was actually in position to win, and Calipari got no help from Antonio Reeves and Jacob Toppin, who combined for two points. And so as I look at this game, that's something that stands out. The fact that Michigan State is a one-and-a-half-point favorite in the Betfred Sportsbook. The fact that, oh, by the way, Kansas State is kind of now this national team. We all know Jerome Tang. We all know Marquise Noel. He's probably the breakout star of this tournament. Keontae Johnson, just an incredible story. I do wonder if the last three, four, five days will have caught up with them. Obviously, they played on Sunday, just like Michigan State, so travel, this, that, isn't as big of a deal. But I bring it up because they've been in the spotlight. They've been the center of attention. Marquise Noel has been the biggest star in college basketball. Um, you know, there was about a day cycle where people were critical of how John Calipari labeled him the little man or whatever John Calipari said. Then Calipari had to call and apologize and so I look at this game. Oh, by the way, Marquise Noel going back to Madison Square Garden, never played there, even though he's from New York. It just feels like Michigan State's kind of quietly sneaking in the building, ready to go. And I believe, by the way, again, no disrespect to Marquise Noel, that Tyson Walker is just as good as Marquise Noel. So this is one, I'll be honest, as far as betting picks, if I was in Vegas at the Betfred Sportsbook, I would not be betting this game. If I had to make a lean, I probably would lean Michigan State, 
But listen, if Kansas State wins this game, if Kansas State is playing to go to the Final Four, I would not be shocked at all. Let's keep it going to the second game in the East Regional. This is the nightcap. And how about this for a game that, listen, if you have it in your bracket, give yourself a pat on the back because who had Florida Atlantic versus Tennessee in this part of the bracket? As a matter of fact, I was thinking about this game. You know the most interesting thing to me about this game? All the different combinations of teams that we could have had. If Memphis beats Florida Atlantic and Memphis was in control of that game for large parts, Memphis is playing Tennessee at Madison Square Garden. We could have had a Purdue-Tennessee matchup. We could have had Purdue versus uh, Duke. We could have had Duke versus Memphis. Oh, by the way, Fairleigh Dickinson nearly beat Florida Atlantic to win that game. And so you think about all the different matchups that we could have ended up with. We end up with Tennessee, uh, uh, Florida Atlantic. And listen, I think these are two incredible stories for two obvious reasons. Florida Atlantic speaks for itself. Dusty May, incredible year. They were in the top 25 at many points this season. But then from the Tennessee perspective, listen, I give Rick Barnes credit. I know it's not cool to say nice things about Rick Barnes. But Josiah Jordan-James missed 12 games. Santiago Vascovi in and out of the lineup. Zakai Ziegler banged up out for the year. And this team kept fighting. As a matter of fact, I saw Santiago Vascovi at the media day on, on Wednesday. Zach Crow tweeted this out. Um, that basically, uh, basically that Z- Santiago Vascovi was like, no, we never gave up. Yes, we're, we're crushed that Zakai can't be on this journey with us on the court. We didn't give up, you know, so I give Tennessee credit and I think it sets up for a very interesting storyline going into this game. And the reason I find it interesting is this, is that right now, Tennessee is actually one of the feel good stories of this tournament because of what they've overcome. But I'll tell you two things. One, I know Tennessee fans. I was talking to Jack, uh, my guy, Jax, who runs the Torres on the Vols page. And he's like, Aaron. I don't care what we're favored by. I don't care how much we're expected to win. I'm a Vol. I'm terrified of this game. And I think that's the psyche of Tennessee fans. They've been through so much. They've seen it all. And it's like you can taste the trip to the Elite Eight. You can taste, see the Final Four in the distance, but you're terrified of losing to Florida Atlantic. That's one thought that I have. I didn't even mention, by the way, Tennessee a a five-and-a-half-point favorite in the Bedford Sportsbook. Um... The other thought I have is this. I do think Tennessee's a feel-good story. What Rick Barnes has done is incredible. What also stands out is none of it will matter if Tennessee does not win on Thursday. If Tennessee loses to Florida Atlantic, it is going to be the exact same story. Like, oh, Rick Barnes, all he had to do was beat an eight seed to go to to an Elite Eight. What is he doing? He's the worst tournament coach ever. So keep an eye on that. Tennessee, a feel-good story right now. Let's see what people are saying if they do not win on uh, on Thursday night. And my, la- my last thought about this game particularly, I'm very curious how the game is refereed. Now, we talked about it on Monday's show. I don't have any fundamental issue with how Tennessee played against Duke. That's how they play every single game all year long. The, the difference was this was on a national stage, a standalone game. Everybody was watching. And because it's Duke, it creates more interest and controversy and drama and whatever. But the refs who are going to be refereeing this game, you know what they've heard all week? Oh, Tennessee, they got away with stuff. They're too physical. They're too nasty. They're too mean. I'm curious if this game is refereed in a manner that favors Tennessee or a manner that favors Florida Atlantic. With that said, though, I am going to pick Tennessee. Listen, I would not bet this. You couldn't give me money to bet this. If I had to bet it, I'd probably take Florida Atlantic plus five and a half Tennessee to win. I couldn't even imagine putting money on this game, but I'm going to take Tennessee to win, which means that, oh, by the way, you know what that means? If my picks are right, Tennessee, Michigan State, which means that we get a rematch of the 2010 Elite Eight Bruce Pearl got Tennessee to the Elite Eight. It was the only time in school history they've gotten there. Second time, they'll be playing Michigan State to go to a Final Four. Set out to the West Region, baby. Viva Las Vegas. How about your boy Torres, by the way? How about that New York, New York rendition the other day? Anyway, uh, Vegas, two unbelievable games. 
in my opinion, there's no doubt if I had to pay for a ticket and the tickets are very expensive, by the way, if I had to pay for a ticket, there's no doubt I'm going to the West Regional, Arkansas, UConn, Gonzaga, UCLA. Now, since all of you have asked me, I've had probably 75 people ask me over the course of the last 72 hours. No, I will not be in Vegas. Yes, my boy's getting married. Friends and family first. You know that. With that said, I am very jealous of those that will be there. I will be at a wedding, though. And shout out to my guy, Ed. No no, no hard feelings, Ed, because I know you're listening, buddy. You know, you, you know your wedding is where I want to be. As far as the game itself, this is the other thing. Everybody's asking me, Torres, who you got? Torres, who you picking? Who do you like? What are you doing? My only real thought is this, I think you can argue, is for me the toughest game to even just pick a winner this weekend. And the reason why is these teams are so, so, so similar. When you think about Arkansas, what do you think of? Super big, super long, super athletic. Not a great shooting team, but they play so freaking hard every single possession. It's unbelievable. Then you go to UConn. What do you think about UConn? So big, clinging in Sunogo down low. So physical, so athletic. They're a little bit of a better three-point shooting team, but have gone through hot and cold streaks this year. And so the teams are so similar, I don't even know where to begin in the analysis. Now, what I find interesting is the paths that each team took to get here, and this is where I'm struggling. So let's look at the UConn perspective. On the one hand, I think you can argue, I don't think there was a more impressive team on the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament than UConn. That might not even be debatable. They dominated Iona, dominated St. Mary's, the Gales, and then they beat the Gales again to go to the Sweet 16. I guess my question, though, is, was UConn that dominant or specifically that St. Mary's game, was that the perfect scenario for UConn? Because I look at that St. Mary's team, it's no disrespect, great program that Randy Bennett's built. But what do they want to do? Play slow, be physical, beat you up, defend, score, you know, late in the shot clock. Except for the fact that UConn likes to score a little bit earlier in the shot clock, there's no real difference. UConn basically plays the same style They just have better players at every spot on the floor. So is UConn that good or did the style just favor them because they had superior talent? Then from the Arkansas perspective, I'll say this. On the one hand, Arkansas has had the tougher path, beat a good Illinois team in the round of, of 64, and then obviously knocked off the defending national champs in the round of 32. But with that said, round of 32, Kansas was kind of in control most of that game, weren't they? Kansas was kind of in control most of that game, and Bill Self wasn't there. And so this isn't a knock on Arkansas. Listen, you play to win the game. You won the game. But is Bill Self one point? Is Kansas one point better if Bill Self is there? I don't know. And so I'm struggling to piece together how I think this game is played. I think it's physical as hell. I think these two teams beat the crap out of each other. And as far as a pick is concerned, here goes. So I think everybody knows I'm a UConn alum. Also, hate to brag, sort of a big deal in the Arkansas community, I think. Maybe not. I don't know. I am definitely a UConn alum. Like, I got a a degree in everything. So, what is my pick? I'm torn. Arkansas is a four-point favorite in the Bedford Sportsbook. And I'll be honest. My heart tells me take UConn, but my head tells me I think Arkansas is going to win this game, and let me explain why. One- Eric Musselman magic in March is real. Must magic in March. Say that 10 times fast. Is real. The guy is unbelievable. And the guy is especially unbelievable when he has time to prepare for you. And that's not a knock on Dan Hurley. That's not a knock on any head coach that he's ever faced. But he is so good with time to prepare. Last year, beat Mark Few in the Sweet 16 and frankly out-schemed him. You know, the year before that crazy Oral Roberts game, that one's a little bit different. This guy is so good with time to prepare, and UConn does have some major weaknesses. Andre Jackson is an incredible player, but at times he is mortified to shoot. That's concerning. You can't play four on five in a Sweet 16 game to go to the Elite Eight. Also, I think this is interesting, and maybe this is just me knowing UConn too well, but Adama Sanogo, who's been dominant in this postseason, kind of an Oscar Sheboy, struggles with length. Well, who has length? Arkansas's got length on length on length on length on length. The Mitchell Twins, they they were brought in for this game. 
Jordan Hawkins, UConn's best offensive player. Zero points in the first half. I think it was zero. I don't know. Basically, he struggled in the first half against Iona, struggled against St. Mary's. Well, now he's going to see the two best perimeter defenders that he's seen in this tournament in Jordan Walsh and Devo Davis. And so, love UConn. Went to UConn. Always will support my Huskies. My gut tells me, though, Arkansas is going to win this game. They're going to advance to the Sweet 16 where, who will they play? They will play the winner of Gonzaga versus UCLA. UCLA, a one and a half point favorite of the Betfred Sportsbook. And I'll tell you this, of the eight games this weekend, this is the game I feel the most confident about. I really like UCLA. And let me explain why. Gonzaga, look, we've all done the whole Gonzaga conversation. You know, eight straight years in the Sweet 16. Shout out Drew Timmy. We heard what you said after you advanced. We didn't want to be the team to you know what it up. Um, but you know what's the thing about Gonzaga? Gonzaga this year, kind of an incredible stat that I found, and let me actually pull it up so that I have the stat correct. Why I bring it up is because what what the stat is is essentially Gonzaga, Gonzaga wants to play you in games where they slow the pace down. So let me let me start over. Okay, so Gonzaga, obviously, look, they want to play fast. I get all that. But why I bring it up is if you can slow down Gonzaga, if you can slow down Gonzaga, you got a pretty good shot. So here is the stat. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pausing for dramatic effect. Here is the stat that I found today. Here's the stat that I found today on Gonzaga. Gonzaga this year was 29-1. and one. When they scored more than 70 points in a game. The only game they won scoring in the 60s was against Michigan State on an aircraft carrier in November. They are one in four in games where they score 70 points or fewer. Well, quick question. Do any of you remember the last time these two teams played in the NCAA tournament? Uh, Yeah, it was 2021 in the bubble. And what did UCLA do? Better than any team that year, they slowed down the pace. They didn't let Gonzaga run, and what ended up happening? They forced overtime. They nearly pulled off the upset. Jalen Suggs hit a shot at the buzzer. At the buzzer, sorry UCLA fans, and Gonzaga survived before they ultimately lost to Baylor. But I bring it up because UCLA's kind of got the blueprint: play super slow, and they have the personnel to pull it off. They play slow naturally. Two hundred forty seventh in the country in tempo. They want to play slow. They don't turn the ball over. 11 turnovers per game. And Gonzaga, if you can keep them in the half court, you can beat them. It's happened four times this year. Four of their five losses came when they scored 70 points or fewer. UCLA is going to play this game in the 60s whether Gonzaga wants to or not. And so, honestly, this is the easiest one for me to evaluate. Here's the other thing. UCLA, UCLA has the big bodies to throw at Drew Timmy. Adembona, Mac Etienne, Kenneth Nwaba. And so this just feels like the perfect matchup for UCLA. So this is my official AT bet Fred best bet for the Sweet 16. I do like UCLA minus one and a half. UCLA versus Arkansas to go to the final four on Saturday night in Vegas. And oh, by the way, in the other region, I have Tennessee, Michigan State. I just want to do take a quick break, come back. And when I come back, we will talk a little bit about that South and Midwest region. Does Bama get tripped up? What about Houston? What about this? Creighton. We go on and on and on. Take a quick break. Be right back. All right, we're getting back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. It is March you want to make wagers, and there is no better place to make them than at the Betfred Sportsbook, the presenting sponsor of the Aaron Torres pod and all things Aaron Torres media. By now, you know Betfred's story. Started in 1967 in the UK, over 1,600 shops in the UK, and they have come to the United States and made a major splash. They are the presenting sponsor of the Colorado Rockies, Denver Broncos, Cincinnati Bengals, Aaron Torres media. And what I love about Betfred, they do more for their customers than anybody. And here's what they're doing for you this March. You can bet $50 on any game this March, any game. And they will give you up to $1,111 in free bets. Here's how it works. Download the Betfred Sportsbook app. Go to betfredsports.com. 
make your first $50 wager, you automatically get $111 in free bets. But then how about this? For the first five weeks that you are a Betfred customer, you will be insured for up to $200 for the first five weeks. So you you make a few bets and we're all going to win all our bets this March. But if it doesn't work out, they'll give you up to $200 back for the first five weeks that you're a Betfred customer. So download the Betfred Sportsbook app, bet $50 on any game, 111 in free bets, plus up to $200 in free bets in insurance the first five weeks. That is all you got to do. Betfred Sportsbook, Betfred Sportsbook app. Tell them Torah sent you. Enjoy March, everybody. All right, everybody. Hi, I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears and get right to the other regions. We just hit on the East region, Michigan State, Kansas State, Tennessee, Florida, Atlantic. We also hit on the West, Arkansas, Yukon, and oh, by the way, UCLA, Gonzaga. Let's switch gears. Let's get to the South and the Midwest. Going to try to do these a little bit quicker because we got to get to some portal stuff to wrap the show. But let's get to the South and the West regions. Uh, because we got some really, really, really fun games. Let's start in the South, the early game in the South, Louisville, Kentucky, beautiful city, been in Louisville many times, beautiful city, beautiful basketball arena, KFC Yum Center, a lot of horses, a lot of bourbon. It is a beautiful place and they love their basketball there and they should have two very good games. We're going to start with the early game, Alabama, a seven and a half point favorite in the Betfred Sportsbook. And I'll just say this, a couple things stand out about this game. The first one being, the second that this bracket came out, this was a game that I had circled on the calendar. And I said, I could see the scenario. I think this game is going to happen. One of the few things I got right in my bracket. And I do believe that San Diego State is a team that is possibly equipped to beat Alabama. Going into the game, let me start with Alabama. Because I do think we have to give them credit, right? We know what's going on off the court. We know about all those conversations. But on the court, it has clearly not affected Alabama. They obviously have won five straight games, all in dominant fashion, rolled through the SEC tournament, beat three really good teams, Mississippi State, Missouri, and Miss, uh, 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 Texas A&M, then rolled through their opener, then destroyed Maryland. And what stood out about the Maryland game is something I've talked about on this show since December. Everybody gets so caught up with the NATO scheme and three-pointers and layups at the rim, no mid-range jumpers. That's awful. What people haven't acknowledged, though, is that this is an elite defensive team, and that was on full display against Maryland. This stat blew me away, but it is true. They shot under 40% from the field, under 30% from three, and, oh, by the way, easily took care of business against uh, against Maryland. As a matter of fact, their 18-point win over Maryland, they, they beat them by, tw- excuse me, not 18 points, 22 points. That was the largest margin ever in an NCAA tournament game for a team that shot 40% from the field, 30% from three. When you shoot that bad and you win by 22, it means that you are playing elite defense. And so you look at how they've been playing. You look at the defense that they play. But again, I go back to what I just said a minute ago. This San Diego State team is one of the few teams that I believe athletically and physically is not going to be intimidated by Alabama. For people who don't follow San Diego State, it is, first of all, they have the talent of a high major program. They they are, to me, kind of a new age college basketball program. They've done a very good job developing players in the program but also plugging holes in the portal. They've been able to retain guys. Obviously, it's not hard to sell guys on playing college basketball in San Diego and going to school there. But look at their roster right now, okay? Nathan Mensah, their starting center, fifth-year junior. Uh, Who else? Uh, Arok Arop is a, I think I said that right, Arok Arop, I believe is how you say his name. Fifth-year guy. Adam Seiko is a fifth-year guy. Lamont Butler, third-year player. Matt Bradley, a fifth-year guy. So this is one of the oldest teams in college basketball, and they will not be intimidated. And as a matter of fact, I'll take it a step further. I thought that they were one of quietly the most impressive teams early in the NCAA tournament. Now, I know they didn't play great against Charleston, but that game was a a, a kind of a, a big game for the program from the perspective their head coach, Brian Dutcher, had not won a game in the NCAA tournament since he took over for Steve Fisher a few years ago. So that was a major game for the program. They were trying to get that monkey off Brian Dutcher's back. They do that, and then they just destroy Furman on Saturday in that early standalone game. 
And so I look at this game, I'll be honest. I'm going to pick Alabama, but I think this game is going to be close. San Diego State is tough. They're older. They're veteran. And I think the one thing that is worth noting, they really don't get blown out. They've only lost one game since the start of February. They have been one of the most consistent teams really about the last six, seven, eight weeks of the season. And it goes back to what Brian Dutcher said the day that they beat Furman to advance to the Sweet 16. He said, guys, I'll be honest. I've watched everybody. I don't think there's a better team out there. I don't think there's a team that's better than us. And if we run into them, we'll tip our caps to them. But I believe in this team. I believe in this group. It's one of the oldest teams in college basketball. Don't be fooled because they're from California. They must be soft beach guys. No, this is a tough, physical, mean team. San Diego State to cover the seven and a half. I can't pick against Bama to win. Let's stay in that South region. The second game, I'll just be blunt, right? It's Creighton, the sixth seed against Princeton, the 15 seed. Probably not stunning news, but this is the first time ever in NCAA tournament history. A 15 has played a six. Um, And, you know, I do like Creighton. Now, from the Princeton perspective, let me just say this. Let me just say this. I think it's important to note this about Princeton. Creighton, by the way, is a 10-point favorite in the Bedford Sportsbook. I think it's worth noting on Princeton. First off, what was impressive to me, it sounds crazy because they beat Arizona in the opening round, 15 seed beating a two. I was actually more impressed with how they handled themselves against the seven seed Missouri in the second round. Because when it comes to their two opening round opponents, listen, I love Arizona. I love Tommy Lloyd. We're going to talk about Kirk Carissa in the next segment who decided to transfer on, uh, on, on Wednesday. But Arizona was an inconsistent team all year. They had highs, they had lows, they had peaks, they had valleys, they played well, they played poorly, okay? The fact that they lost to Princeton was not that surprising to me. But I did not expect Princeton to then come out two days later and smack a Missouri team that really had been one of the most consistent teams in college basketball all season long. They beat them by 15. It was never really competitive. This Princeton team is good. What I also think is a couple things that would worry me from the Princeton perspective. One. And this gets discussed every year. When you have that extra week, you go to the NCAA tournament, nobody expects you to win. Then you win, and it's a quick turnaround to play that second game. And so there's not really time to really even reflect. It's just, we won, we got to play tomorrow, let's focus. Now, though, Princeton won on Saturday. Princeton has been sitting around since Saturday, getting back to campus, going to advance Calc or whatever class they're taking. Everybody's patting them on the back, telling them how great they are. And now they got to re-get themselves up. And also from the Creighton perspective, you now have two games of film. Creighton lost to Arizona this year in the Maui Invitational. And so Greg McDermott can put on that tape and say, I guess that team that beat you, these guys that were playing, they beat them. And so you better come out. You better be ready to play. Creighton is playing well. Creighton, I think, is starting to peak. It took until March, but they dominated Baylor. I think they take care of business. This is one I will not be betting in any way, shape, or form. I think Creighton wins. Don't have a strong feel on if they'll cover or not. Let's go to the Midwest region. Kansas City. Like the other three, well, two out of three, we will have coverage at Aaron Torres Online. Two super intriguing games here. Let's start with the early one. Houston, the number one seed in this region, is playing the five Miami uh, Houston is a seven-point favorite in the Betfred Sportsbook. And what stands out to me about this game, I think Miami is the epitome of the craziness of this tournament, and let me explain why. Why I say that is because it's just so crazy how this tournament works sometimes. Miami was on the ropes against Drake. Drake had him beat. I actually picked that in the opening round of the tournament, so you know I watched close. Drake had him beat. Miami rallies to win, and then Miami just destroys Indiana. And so it's weird because the 12 seed was actually the tougher matchup for them. Meanwhile, I think if Indiana had played Drake, Indiana would have easily advanced out of this bracket. So it's just funny how this tournament works. But now Miami's coming in, and I will say, this is a fascinating matchup of offense versus defense. uh, Houston, we don't need to tell you all the details, but top five nationally in field goal percentage defense, top five nationally in scoring defense, Miami wants to play fast. Miami led the ACC in scoring at 80 points per game. And I'll be blunt, I do like Houston to win, 
But I do think Miami can sort of dictate tempo in this game. Because the thing about Miami, as good as they are offensively, they're not really great defensively. And so what ends up happening is they give up a couple quick shots, a couple easy buckets, but that forces you to get into their game going back and forth. I expect it to be a little bit more high scoring, but I do expect Houston to ultimately come out victorious. And yes, maybe part of that is that uh, I had Houston winning the national championship in my pool. So I obviously want to look smart and be right. This one I expect to be a little bit more high scoring. I would not bet the game. I do feel good about the over though. I say Houston wins something like, you know, 78 to 70 or something. In that case, Houston would cover, but the over would hit with ease. I actually really do like that over of 138. That is another one of my AT Betfred best bets. Final game on Friday. You talk about an intriguing matchup, and I'll be blunt. One that I have no feel for at all. That is Xavier versus Texas, okay? So Texas is the two seed in this region. Xavier the three. Texas is a four-point favorite in the Betfred Sportsbook. And what's interesting about this game is a few things. One, we all know what Texas is playing for. Playing for an Elite Eight berth, a potential uh, national title, but they're playing for Rodney Terry's job. Rodney Terry is the interim head coach. I believe at this point he should have done enough to get the head coaching job. Texas, I still get the sense, wants to talk to some people after the season is over or maybe is already talking to people. Ronnie Terry goes to an Elite Eight after winning the Big 12 uh, uh, tournament championship. It's going to be tough. It is going to be very tough to justify not giving him the job. So the guys know what they're playing for. On the flip side, let me ask you this. How crazy would it be if after all the crap that Sean Miller got at Arizona, this was the team that got him to the Final Four? Remember, Sean Miller, I've said it many times, four Elite Eights in his career, three at Arizona, one the first time he was at Xavier. But four Elite Eights, two of them were decided by one point. And then also, this is now his eighth Sweet 16 overall. So spare me the Sean Miller is overrated. This is his eighth Sweet 16 in his career. In terms of the game itself, I'll just be blunt. I like Xavier to cover. I'm hesitant on the outright win, but let me explain why. Xavier, all they want to do is get up and down and score. It's what they do. It's how they do it. Da 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 da. This and that. Texas has not been great defensively, right? Like, like Texas credit to them because they really did. They were really on the ropes against Penn State and were able to rally. But at the same time, you know, they have not been great defensively as the season has gone on as they've gotten further away from the Chris Beard kind of influence, if you will, they've struggled defensively. Now, they've been better the last week or two. They gave up 66 to Penn State. They gave up 60, uh, 56 to Kansas in the Big 12 championship game. So the defense is starting to get better. But this will probably be the best offensive team they've seen in a while. I will pick Texas to advance out of this game to face Houston in the regional. My official pick, again, one I would not bet. But I'll pick Texas to win this game, meaning that my Elite Eight is one versus two, Houston versus Texas in this region. And then you go to the South region, I would have one versus six, Alabama versus Creighton. Oh, by the way, my bet Fred best bets, UCLA minus one and a half on Thursday. I do like the Houston-Miami over on Friday. I would also bet the UCLA-Gonzaga under on Thursday as well. 146 and a half. I would definitely bet that. 145 and a half, as a matter of fact. One quick note before we get to the transfer portal stuff. Um, so I just mentioned a minute ago that we do have a little bit of coaching carousel news since the last time we recorded. Um, obviously, the last time we did a show, I talked Patino and I talked Cooley. Well, a couple interesting notes since then. One, Patino has officially been replaced. Um Patino has been replaced at Iona by Tobin Anderson. Remember, that was the guy at Fairleigh Dickinson that orchestrated the magic to beat Purdue. So this is a guy that in two years went from D2 to Fairleigh Dickinson in the New York City area and takes one step up to a really good Iona job. 
Now, we're going to talk about it in a minute in the transfer portal. It will be a rebuild at Iona. Their two best players, William Clayton Jr., Nelly Jr. Joseph, both hit the transfer portal earlier this week. So that will be something for him to keep an eye on, but he gets that job. Uh, and the other big piece of news was that what had long been rumored, long been um, speculated, but Penn State head coach Micah Shrewsbury has taken the Notre Dame job. This is one, I'll be honest, I don't know that I have a hot take on. A few things kind of turn, you know, kind of uh, um, strike me about this hire. One, he's from Indiana, um, spe or spent a lot of time in Indiana. I don't know if he's from Indiana, but spent a lot of time in Indiana, was an assistant coach under Matt Painter. He's got ties to the Brad Stevens tree. Brad Stevens is obviously a Butler guy. So that's one. But two, and I think this is worth noting, if you can get out of, out of the Big Ten, especially, frankly, probably a bottom three, bottom four job in the Big Ten, um, you kind of got to do it, especially to go to the ACC right now. Think about this. Just think about, think about this is going to sound crazy. Penn State's going to the second week, second round of the NCAA tournament this year. Penn State accomplished what Duke accomplished, more than Carolina, more than Louisville, more than Syracuse. I bring it up. Micah Shrewsbury being the Notre Dame head coach next year. Notre Dame will have a more accomplished coach at this point than Duke, than Louisville, than Syracuse. I bring it up because guess what? Right now, the ACC is where everybody wants to go. The a Everybody wants to get out of the SEC, the Big East, even the Big Ten. I make fun of the Big Ten. That's a really hard league to win in with some of those road venues. You go to the ACC, you can flip things quick. You have easier road venues. Outs you know, Carolina and Duke are tough. But Florida State ain't tough. Boston College ain't tough. Uh, Georgia Tech ain't tough right now. And so I'm not surprised that he took this job. And I'm curious to see how he does. Now, the academic standards at Notre Dame are real. It's harder to get transfers in. I don't know if Notre Dame really wants to dive full speed ahead into the NIL game. But this is really interesting. Because you think about that guy. And you think about how good he can be pretty quickly in that league. I'm excited to see. But congrats to him for getting that Notre Dame job. All right, so what I want to do, take a quick break, come back, and when we come back, oh, we got to hit the transfer portal, baby. Transfer portal is humming. We're going to talk, it all, talk about it all next. Take a quick break. Be right back. All right, everybody. Hi, back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears. And I, what I really want to do here over the final few minutes of today's show is just do a segment that you guys and girls love and you guys and girls, actually, I got two or three private DMs asking about this specific topic. It is a transfer portal news and notes segment. Uh, so I really started doing these last year, really like once or twice a week. I would just kind of go through all of the news and notes in college basketball's transfer portal, players who are entering, visits, commitments, where are players leaning, um, because you guys and girls love it. Uh, it is new, it is fascinating, it is interesting, it can obviously shake up college basketball. And so really, the, the YouTube numbers reflect it, the downloads reflect it, these are things that you want to hear. So over the next couple weeks and months, expect one or two of these updates basically every week. We did one last year, when or last week, excuse me, when the portal first opened, we talked a little bit about Sky Clark, we talked a little bit about uh, J.J. Starling. And so what I want to do now is kind of give you an update on everything that has happened in the portal over the last couple of days. We'll start with some new names. We will get to some interesting storylines and we'll wrap with a couple commitments since the last time we talked portal about a week ago. First piece of news. It came Thursday afternoon and it was a pseudo bombshell. Okay. I would argue the biggest name that has entered the transfer portal so far went into the portal on Thursday that is Kirk Creesa, the starting point guard at the University of Arizona. And I do believe in college basketball circles, this sent shockwaves across the sport, okay? This is a guy that has been a two-year starter for two really good teams. Remember last year, year one under Tommy Lloyd at Arizona. Arizona gets a number one seed, Pac-12 regular season champs, Pac-12 tournament champs. This year, they end up as a two-seed Maui Invitational. They win that uh, Pac-12 tournament champ again this year. So basically, this guy has been a starting point guard on a major college basketball team, major brand, major conference for the last two years. 
And he ends up hitting the portal today, nine and a half points per game, five assists per game. I think he was like one of only two or three players to average five plus assists in each of the last two years in college basketball. And so on the one hand, this is shocking. But on the other hand, I'll be blunt. I had started to hear whispers once the season went final that this could be coming. And let me give you a little bit of background on kind of what I heard and what I know and and really just kind of some stuff that I picked up along the way. After Arizona ended up losing to the, in the first round to Princeton in the NCAA tournament, we talked a little bit about this, but it felt to me like very publicly, Kirk Creesa was the face of Arizona's loss and the face of the disappointment of the program. I'm not blaming him. I'm not saying Tommy Lloyd blamed him, but it felt like in general, the sentiment around Arizona was that you can't win at the highest level with this guy as your point guard. Because while he averaged nine and a half points per game, I think it was actually closer to 10. I think it was like 9.9 points per game, five assists per game. If you go back and look, and we talked about this after Arizona lost in the first round to Princeton, he really struggled, especially against elite competition. Against Princeton in the NCAA tournament, three points and two assists. Don't even think you can call that elite competition. No disrespect to Princeton. Conference championship game, even when they beat UCLA, 2.0 assists. And so when Arizona lost, I think like any fan base, you're looking for answers. You're trying to figure it out. And it seemed to me that Kirk Risa was the guy like, we cannot win a national championship with that guy as your point guard. And so I'm not saying Tommy Lloyd forced him out. That's not what I'm saying at all. But you started to hear whispers that the program itself is ready to start to see what Kylan Boswell, the true freshman five-star, what they can be with him at point guard. And so you kind of wondered, frankly, if there was a fit for Kirk Risa going forward or if they were ready to hand the keys to Kylan Boswell and see if he could take them to another level that Kirk Risa simply couldn't. So I bring it all up to say Kirk Risa is in the portal, and I think there's two very interesting things here. One, in terms of schools, and by the way, I want to mention this. Even if Kirk Risa struggled against elite competition, even if he's he had bad games and big moments, he's a very good college point guard, and I believe he can play at a high level. Now, can he be the best player on the best team that makes a Final Four, wins a national championship? Probably not. But you don't average close to double figures and five and a half assists per game in the Pac-12 if you can't play. And so he is going to have plenty of options. Now, I have already heard that I've heard some rumblings that he could reunite with Sean Miller at Xavier. Remember, he was recruited to Arizona by Sean Miller. His freshman year, he didn't really get to play much. There were some NCAA issues, but that first season was Sean Miller's final year. They were very close. He was very close with Sean Miller and his coaching staff. My understanding is this may be possible. They may reunite. As a matter of fact, I will say this on whatever it is, March 23rd right now. If I had to guess, I believe that Kirk Risa will be playing for Xavier next year with Sean Miller. So that's the interesting thing. One, he's going to have plenty of options, but I suspect he will likely end up at Xavier. But two, I'll also say this. Now, this isn't transfer portal, but this is just interesting college hoops talk that I think is worth noting here. And we have a lot of Arizona fans that listen to this show. I think to me, and we talked about this again after Arizona lost in the NCAA tournament, to me, I believe that this is the turning point crossroads moment for Tommy Lloyd as the head coach at Arizona. Again, we talked about it after they lost in the NCAA tournament. I'm not saying he's a bad coach. I'm not saying he's overrated. I'm not saying he's on the hot seat. I'm not saying whatever. But year one, it is just a rip-roaring success. It's unbelievable. He gets all the accolades and deservedly so. This year... I think the sentiment within the fan base was Tommy actually overachieved with what he had. And we're actually very happy. And some of it's on Kirk Kreese. Some of it's on the other guys. We were limited and we overachieved with what we had. Well, next year, Kylan Boswell is going to be the point guard next year. Um, frankly, essentially the entire roster will have been brought in by Tommy Lloyd at th- that point. Now they have a lot of work to do in the transfer portal. We'll see if Asulis Tubelis comes back, the all-Pac-12 performer. He would be a Sean Miller recruit. But essentially, everybody else on this roster would have been brought in by Tommy Lloyd. And so I think next year's kind of the year. You, you know, you, t- Kirk Reese is out. You can't blame him. Older, You know, the other guys that were left over from the Sean Miller era, you can't blame them. This is your roster, your team. You constructed it. So that will be very interesting to watch. But again, the big piece of transfer news 
Kirk Risa, starting point guard at Arizona, has entered the portal. My guess is that he ends up at Xavier. By the way, very interesting. Another Arizona guard, Adama Ball, a foreign player, uh, has entered the portal as well. He was kind of a high upside kid. I was actually excited to see his potential for Tommy Lloyd in Arizona. It does not work out. He will now hit the portal as well. Let's keep it going. More news and notes from the portal. Uh, did you see what mid-major team sent a bunch of players to the portal on Tuesday? This one was very interesting. And by now, you know, I have talked more about Rick Pitino than any podcast anywhere in America. I think if Rick Pitino's family had a podcast, they probably wouldn't have talked about Rick Pitino to St. John's as much as I have. But why I bring it up, it is because on Tuesday, you know who hit the portal? The two best players from Iona that played for Rick Pitino last year. Guard William Clayton Jr., very good guard in my opinion. 18 and a half points per game, 16 and a half points per game, excuse me. 43% three-point shooter. And then also a big man, Nelly Jr. Joseph. He's from Africa originally. Really, really just solid across the board big man. 14 points, nine and a half rebounds per game at Iona this past season. Why do I bring it up? Well, I don't think it's fair to officially say that those guys are going to follow Rick Pitino from Iona to St. John's. I don't know that for sure, but it's worth noting a few things. They entered the portal the same day that Rick Pitino was hired at St. John's. They weren't waiting around. They didn't care that Tobin Anderson, the, the, the star breakout star of the NCAA tournament at Fairleigh Dickinson, was named head coach at Iona. He will certainly have a chance to recruit those guys, but I bring it up because I sit there and say, I don't know. Feels to me like those are two guys that I believe can play in the Big East. William Clayton had a pretty good game against UConn, 15 points. Nelly Jr. Joseph, a guy, again, 14 points, nine rebounds. He's about a 6'9", kind of super athletic big guy. Those strike me as guys that can play in the Big East. And why it's especially important, I think, is for this reason. If you listen to Rick Pitino's press conference on Tuesday very closely, he basically insinuated there is going to be a lot of turnover at St. John's in the coming weeks. He said Joel Soriano, who is basically an all-Big East caliber big man, will be back. But he didn't promise anything else to anyone else. And these are two guys that I could see him building this St. John's program around. By the way, a couple other news and notes on St. John's. One. They were in on Wednesday morning to see Boogie Fland, a five-star guard in the New York City area. So the question is, can Rick Pitino get those five stars to stay in New York? This is a kid, class of 2024, a high school junior that many believe is a strong Kentucky lean. Well, Rick Pitino ain't conceding him to John Calipari, I can tell you that much. There's already rumors, and I actually did a video on YouTube about this, that uh, Ian Jackson, a five-star committed to North Carolina from the New York City area, could he flip to St. John's? So there's already a lot of interesting recruiting buzz with Rick Pitino. By the way, Johnny's fans, if you're listening to this, we did start our newest Torres on account. Torres on SJU, Torres on St. John's. Make sure to subscribe there on Twitter for all of your St. John's news and notes. By the way, that is the 12th Torres on account in addition to Kentucky, Arkansas, UConn, et cetera. I'm not going to get into all of them now. Let's keep it going. More Transfer Portal news and notes. Just want to hit on a couple quick names that you probably need to know going forward. One really big name, metaphorically and literally. Graham E.K., this is a guy to know. He played at Wyoming. Okay, if you remember two years ago, Wyoming made the NCAA tournament as an at-large team. He was one of the two foundational pieces for that team. Mountain West all-first team player at Wyoming. 19 points, 9.5 rebounds per game. They made the NCAA tournament. They lost in the play-in game, the first four game to Indiana. But Graham BK was an all-Mountain West player, got hurt this past year, sat out the entire season, and has now decided to transfer. Wyoming's kind of an interesting deal. I'm not going to get into it, but you hear whispers. They had a couple players transfer in that didn't even finish the season there, but their best returning player, Graham EK, is now in the portal. Big forward, about 6'9". He's not super athletic. Uh, he did average 19 and a half points, nine rebounds per game last year. He's got almost an Oscar Shibway game to him. Now, I'm not saying he's a guy that's going to average 20 rebounds a game or anything like that, but kind of that player, 6'8", six, 6'9", six, power big guy. He's from Denver. Uh, I think it's a little early to speculate where he could end up. He'll hear from everybody, 
One name, one school that I, I, you know, he reminds me of a player that would play for this guy. He's kind of got that game that Ed Cooley loves from his big guys. Ed Cooley, now the head coach of Georgetown. Um, if you have watched a Providence team at all where Ed Cooley was, they have those big bangers down low. This kid kind of reminds me of that, not speculating that he'll go to Georgetown, but that is a name to know in the portal. couple other names that you need to know. One, Georgia's best player, Cario Car- Quendo, is in the portal. He is a player that is testing the NBA draft waters, averaged 13 points per game this year at Georgia. Thing I would say about him, he's super athletic, in the open court, wing player, really good. He doesn't really do all that much besides be super athletic in the open court. Average less than one assist per game this year. Uh, This current season shot 27% from three. So think super high upside athlete. Not a ton there otherwise, but he is a very interesting player. Again, he's testing the draft waters. So he's one, he got his name in the portal but I think he'll probably keep his name in there for a while, look at the NBA stuff before he seriously considers returning to college. But if he does, he will be a very in-demand kind of guy. Uh, a couple other names. One, just keep an eye. This is another guy that that St. John's has reached out to, but also Kansas has reached out to, North Carolina has reached out to, Nick Timberlake. If you're looking for a mid-major guy, Nick Timberlake might be the guy to keep an eye on. He is a player this year that had a very, very, very good season uh, this past year. Nick Timberlake, again, is being recruited by basically everybody. You know, UConn, who is not very active in the Twitter portal or in the in the Twitter portal, in the transfer portal. They have reached out to him. He averaged just under 18 points per game for uh, for Townsend this year. Townsend University. Really talented player. 18 points per game. 42 percent three point shooter. He will be entering his sixth year of college basketball, took a red shirt as a freshman in 2018-2019, has an extra year of eligibility. Basically, everybody has reached out to him. Let's continue with some wrap on some other news and notes. Uh, By the way, interesting name that entered the portal on Wednesday, Aaron Euless. He is the brother of Tyler Euless. Tyler Euless was, of course, the SEC Player of the Year at Kentucky. Aaron Euless developed into a nice little player at Iowa. Um, and it'll be interesting. I, I haven't seen any speculation yet on if he would potentially be interested in Kentucky or vice versa. But Tyler Euless is now on the Kentucky staff as a graduate assistant. And Kentucky, what was the complaint this year? They just did not have enough depth specifically in the backcourt. I think he'd be a very nice piece. If he's willing to come in and be like a sixth man type piece behind the freshmen that are coming in at UK next year, I think he could be a very nice piece. Uh, I think I said it, Kansas had a few guys enter the portal on on Wednesday, most notably Bobby Pettiford, six foot one guard, had been committed to Louisville, goes to Kansas. I actually thought he was a player that could have a nice little breakout next year, but he enters the portal as well. So those, I think, are really the names to know going forward in the portal. And also a couple notes since we last recorded and talked portal. One, Sky Clark has committed to Louisville. So Louisville, um, I don't know exactly what's going on there. You know, listen, Kenny Payne's in desperation mode, but last couple of weeks it has been very successful for them. They got a commitment from a five-star Dennis Evans. Uh, on top of that, uh, they got another five-star Trenton Flowers to reclassify, was a member of the class of 2024. He is now coming up to 2023, but also Sky Clark. Sky Clark is a former five-star player. Began his, well, I I take that back. Committed to Kentucky in high school. Decommitted, ended up at Illinois. Left the team midseason. Very talented guard. You know, this kid dealt with a lot of injuries in high school. I'm wishing him nothing but the best. We'll see if it works. But Kenny Payne clearly doing a lot of work in both the portal and in high school recruiting. And then finally, the other big one, J.J. Starling. We talked about it last time. He was a five-star former McDonald's All-American Uh, played his freshman year at Notre Dame this year. He's from upstate New York, entered the transfer portal, and uh, committed to Syracuse as expected. We talked about that last time. It was expected that he was going to go to Syracuse. He goes to Syracuse. So the first big name in the transfer portal that commits to, uh, to Adrian Autry, the new Syracuse head coach. All right, with that said, I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Tour Sports Podcast. It is time to, for me to get out of here. Reminder, no new episodes until Monday. Again, 
Know it's a busy weekend. Know it's a fun weekend. A lot of college hoops, but got a good friend getting married on Friday. Rehearsal on Thursday. Will not be able to record. Uh, so with that said, this is all Taurus. This is all the Taurus that you get until Monday. But when I tell you we'll have a fun Monday show reacting, we will have a final four by that point. Uh, make sure you're obviously uh, paying attention to everything I do. We'll still be on social media. By the way, we have guys at most of the regionals. We'll have coverage from the East Regional with Zach Kroll, writer, host of, of the College Hoops Daily Podcast. Um, we'll have coverage in the South Regional in Louisville. We'll have coverage in the Midwest Regional. So make sure you're checking in at AaronTorresOnline.com. Follow me on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. Aaron Torres Pod on Twitter will also have coverage as well. But that said, though, it is time for me to get out of here. Quick reminder, if you're not subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead and give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. It is time for me to get out of here. Shout out to Torrenkart. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. Unblock me, bro. By the way, shout out to my guy, Ed, getting married on Friday. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate your support of the Aaron Torres pod. To everybody else, have a great weekend. Enjoy the games. Torres will be back on Monday.